Welcome to this week's episode of the Creative Ops Podcast, the water cooler for the creative operations community. I'm your host, Nish Patel, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me yet again as I continue my journey of curiosity about all things creative ops. You may recall from the intro episode that I promised that in addition to hearing from creative operations leaders, we're going to be pulling others into the conversation. In upcoming episodes, you might be hearing from chief marketing officers, AI and data nerds, creative technologists, and even CEOs. We're going to start that with today's episode. Today, you're going to be hearing from Michelle Vincent, the chief executive officer of MoFilm. I'm a huge fan of Michelle and the work her agency does because it's deeply rooted in something that I'm passionate about, storytelling. I think it's something that's actually been forgotten in the increasingly algorithmic driven world of marketing and creative, but something that I think is coming back to the forefront as the age of AI unfolds. We're actually gonna get into how this agency is using AI and reinforcing their core principle of creator in the middle. I love that term. It's a bit of a play on that term we've all been hearing about of human in the loop. So keep in mind creator in the middle as we go through this episode. Michelle's going to share some of their early experiences using AI and share some of the good and the not yet good enough. Like with every episode, we're going to start off with her answer to the question, what is your definition of creative operations? I've asked a lot of people that question. Michelle gave me a bit of a unique answer, but I think it's an answer that's worth your time and attention, whether you're on the agency side or operating within a brand. And remember, at the end of the episode, I'm going to share a couple of thoughts that stuck with me in the days since I had this conversation with Michelle. So sit back and get ready to be immersed in the stories that come from Michelle's hands-on experience. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me, Nish. Happy to be here. The one question I start every episode with, what's your definition of creative operations? Because hearing from people what their definition is, hopefully there's a little bit more clarity that comes out of feedback from individuals such as yourselves and others. The person or team members that I spend the most time with squarely sit in the role of helping us shape and execute our creative operations priorities. As far as a definition is concerned, I could certainly simplify it and talk about how it is a focus on driving the efficacy and cost efficiency of our ability at MoFilm to make creative assets and objects for our clients. But what that looks like and what we focus on to do that really changes from one year to the next, sometimes at a six-month clip, but the way that everything's evolving. It could be a focus on processes, systems, technologies. What can we do to streamline and make sure that we do not compromise quality? Because the quality of what we do is really the only thing we have to hang our hat on, but also make sure that we are doing it Uh, as quickly as possible with the right execution and polish and all of the things to make our clients happy. So just picking up on a couple of things there, at MoFilm, which is an agency, is creative operations, is it a role, is it a department, or is it sort of part of the agency's DNA and it's everybody's job? There is no specific role that has that title per se, Ultimately, what every single individual in MoFilm has to do as an agency 
it all comes back to creative operations. We all have to be so focused on the different things that we can do to move better, faster, stronger, cheaper. It's just the nature of this industry. It's highly competitive and those that evolve and get it better one year after the next are the ones that are going to um, continue to survive in this industry. So yeah, we're all tasked with it, but I'd argue at the leadership team, we spend more time thinking about it and identifying what priorities we have to focus on and, and what budgeting wise makes sense for us from one year to the next. I often find with agencies, it's really part of their, I don't know if DNA is the right way to think about it, or maybe part of their operating system, because it directly ties to your business model of, are we able to deliver what clients need in terms of high impact content and do it cost effectively so that it makes sense for the client's budget. And as an agency, you're still able to generate a profit. And that's in stark contrast to what I see with a lot of in-house teams where creative operations tends to be this team that's still tasked with trying to do more, trying to do it on time, try to do it on budget, but it feels like it's not really part of the company's core operating system, unlike how it sounds like it's at MoFilm. A hundred percent. The margin game is real in the, in the agency world. And if you want to run a profitable business operation, you constantly have to look for those efficiencies that can drive cost savings, not only for ourselves, but also that we can pass back to our clients, which makes us more competitive. So yeah, it has to be at the center of everything that we do. You use the words like quality and impact. And that is something that I think is going to become more prevalent and quite frankly, more of a requirement for creative ops teams to pay attention to. And I'm seeing it most in agencies right now, like MoFilm, but we'll put a pin in that and come back to that a little bit later. You and I are going to be at the Henry Stewart conference in November. We're going to be on a panel that I've had the privilege of facilitating, and you're going to be one of the panelists along with a couple of other individuals. I'm really excited about that because I think AI, which has been around for decades, but really hit everyone's radar in terms of getting consumerized, if I could use that word, last November when ChatGPT showed up. And since then, Everybody has been talking about like how AI is going to change everything. And it feels like we went through this massive hype cycle where everyone's like, oh, it's going to happen now. It's going to happen overnight. And now we've sort of come down a little bit from that. But I think what I'm excited about right now is that I'm seeing a lot of organizations actively trying these AI tools and starting to think through, how's this going to change the way we work? How's it going to change our business models and how might it change job definitions and even org chart structures and things like that? So I'd like to talk a bit about AI and MoFilm's experience with it and yours individually. Maybe we could start with MoFilm, which is a creative agency. My experience has been a lot of creatives have been dismissive about AI. So I'd love to hear the experience MoFilm has had maybe playing with some of these tools, piloting them, and even using them. I'd, I'd love to dig into that. We're constantly learning from our peers. I think all of the competitive walls come down when it comes to understanding this technology and what it means for the future. Going back to your question, as it relates specifically to, to MoFilm, yes, ChatGPT essentially opened up Pandora's box from a consumer standpoint, but there was this buzz in the background in the creative space as certain tools started to crop up. And I agree with you in the creative world, creators, artists, filmmakers, you name it, 
there was this sort of pushback or hesitancy. But as we saw how fast this was moving and the capabilities of some of these technologies, we realized really quickly we have over 10,000 creators that look to us for jobs and opportunities around the world and felt a massive responsibility to, first of all, experiment, and then based on our learnings, educate and inform and make sure we identified where are there opportunities for creatives to actually lean in and do great work. I think fears of AI taking over jobs, I don't believe we're in a place where that is something that we need to be concerned about. Our feeling was that the greater concern was that creatives would not get on the train and learn how to utilize these tools to their advantage as superpowers, enhancing our ability to create and enhancing our speed and driving some of the most exciting creative operations progress inside of our organization. And we wanted to take our creators with us. We were using a lot of different tools. There are three three that really come to mind. Midjourney was one that felt just so easy for us to play with, right? You set up an account, you start throwing in some prompts and our global executive creative director um, really just started playing around with this surrounding certain projects to see, could we use this as sort of a jumping off point for storyboarding um, and concepting to spark inspiration, not even utilizing the assets um, in the final outcome, but to think about different scenes and just spark some inspiration. And fast forward, we also were able to explore, well, we do use the assets. What does this mean in terms of IP and the legality of being able to utilize it in a commercial uh, sense? So that's been an interesting sort of legal exploration and discussion with some of our clients that have been a little bit more forward thinking in this space. We've used tools like Runway when we were filming a live podcast <laughs> uh, during the Cannes Lions event in the south of France. And you've got wind, you've got all of the elements from outside, and you need to try to create a beautiful, seamless clip of footage for the final cut. When you take a tool that can literally erase branding that was accidentally not pulled off of a set or create a fix for an image that once it is done, that fix actually stays and moves along with the person or object that is in a film. I mean, that has blown our minds and is something incredible that post-production companies and filmmakers can definitely use to their advantage that doesn't take away their jobs, but actually just allows them to move faster and stronger. And then even as we sit together here on this podcast, we love tools like Descript, where you can take the conversation between two people and apply at the click of a button, a edited version, removing too many ums and ahs from a conversation, for example, that can allow the audio to be seamlessly polished and beautiful and any video footage alongside it to also seamlessly and cleanly have those same edits be applied. It blows my mind how it can all come together so quickly and efficiently. And then the ability to also humanize that asset or those outputs and actually add in (laughs) 
10% more ums and ahs or 15% more ums and ahs so that something isn't overly polished to me is also really important because we're not necessarily trying to get to a place where we all just look like robotic versions of ourselves, but there is a way somewhere in between we can still get a very natural and organic outcome with the editing that we need to be ready for prime time or be ready for commercial use. So those are just some examples of some tools that we love and felt it was important that the creators out there felt more comfortable playing around with those tools. It'd be like the 80s. For anybody that didn't get on board with the computer or the laptop back then, we were in danger of being left behind as businesses evolved and jobs and roles evolved. You don't necessarily have secretaries, administrative business partners transcribing the letters that their uh, managers are trying to dictate to send to somebody else. We just move faster. We can do it ourselves. And those roles have evolved along with it. I don't see AI tools to be any different from that. I love that perspective. And I agree with you. Like AI is here. So even if we don't like it as individuals or organizations or as a society, we can't ignore it. We have to deal with it. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle. What I love about the examples you're highlighting is that it sort of counteracts what I've been seeing a lot as I'm talking to organizations of all different shapes and stripes about AI. And there's this growing fear narrative around AI is going to take away our jobs and displace humans. But the way that MoFilm is using it, which I see in a few other agencies, like that's the way we should be thinking about AI. I, I, I've got this like principle related to AI called let machines machine so humans can once again human. And what I mean by that is that Humans are naturally curious and creative, but a lot of the work we end up doing in our day-to-day -day jobs is very machine-like. It's repetitive. It's rote work. It's just harder than it needs to be. And I think the way you guys are using it to be able to go faster for some things or to be used mid-journey to spark a conversation around creative concepts, even though it's probably difficult to use mid-journey's output as something you could put out there because of copyright issues, but it helps you go faster. It helps to augment human imagination that you have across those 10,000 people in the agency to tell these great compelling stories. And I think that's a great way to think about like how AI will sit alongside us and be a tool for us to leverage so that we can once again outsource that machine-like work, which is boring and doesn't really activate our imagination. And we can then spend more of that freed up time applying our natural human creativity and curiosity. And I think agencies like MoFilm should be held up as examples of here's how to think about AI. Exactly. And again, going back to the pre-computer era of transcribing letters, it allows us to take these administrative tasks and take the human beings that are working on any particular project or system or opportunity and then elevate the level of strategic work that is being applied during those hours versus the administrative. I've been at an event where there was a, a professor in the audience who led certain courses in the creative space and he said, well, we don't have to worry about the next generation of creatives coming into the office and not having that baseline layer of mentorship that we're used to having in the creative space, they're already using these tools. So when they join an agency or an in-house team, wherever it may be, it just makes the starting point much more focused 
on strategic work that requires a human being versus those administrative tasks that quite frankly, uh, a computer can do at this point in time. The roles will evolve, but the humans, I think, will be applied to work in a different way that I think will create the next generation of really incredible creative ideation and beautiful, inspiring assets that deliver the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. It takes time. If I had all the time and all the budget in the world, I'm sure our creative director and the creative talent that we employ would love it, but we don't have an endless amount of time and we don't have endless budgets. And that's where the creative operations piece comes in and we have to identify these efficiencies. And that's where these tools are just doing it for us in an incredible way. I've seen some organizations have sort of a chief AI officer now, and I've got my personal opinions on that, but I'll save that for another time. So how are you approaching it at MoFilm as you're starting to use and pilot and deploy some of these tools? Is it somebody's job? Is it more of a, everybody's got a sandbox and you've got carte blanche to play with these things? Is it more formal or ad hoc and then successful experiments bubble up and get deployed across the org? It is multifaceted at MoFilm. We do not have a chief uh, AI officer. Uh, we are a small, scrappy company. We do have the benefit of being a part of a larger holdco called the Brand Tech Group. And with that, a lot of our sister companies have individuals that sit on a task force where we come together and share what we're learning and best practices. We do have somebody inside of MoFilm that is our point person for that. And I'm actually on those threads as well, just for my own visibility and curiosity. We also recently, as a Holdco, acquired a sister company called Pencil. And that's been really interesting for MoFilm because when you look at traditional creative agencies, we're often a little bit further removed from, let's say, the media companies or the media buying agencies from the impact or the outcome that our creatives drive. And what's interesting to see in companies like Pencil is that some of these AI tools can actually leverage their learnings and the data inputs to look at the creatives, look at certain positioning, take the information from thousands and thousands of other campaigns or a particular industry and begin to predict the outcomes that creative will drive, which can then inform, okay, well, we're just going to narrow it down to these three assets for some multivariate or A-B testing for a particular campaign. So we're working closely with not just Pencil, but other teams to identify where are some of these places where our creators can get their hands on these tools. And then we can start to see how we take that as a feedback loop to better outcomes for our clients as well. That's a great jumping off point to talk a bit about what I think might be one of the near-term risks with AI as we apply to creative work. A lot of these AI tools seem rooted in doing what we currently do, but doing it at a much larger scale and doing it much faster. So let's just produce more stuff and do it almost instantaneously. And that could have a lot of benefits from a time to market point of view, from a cost point of view, to do more targeted one-to-one -one campaigns. So now you don't have these large audience cohorts, you have audiences of one that you're able to produce creative content for. But that might lead us down the path of leveraging AI to be more machine-like in creative output, just doing a whole bunch of like copying and pasting. 
as opposed to storytelling. Does that sort of grok with you? Do you think that is a near-term risk with AI? I, I think in the next year or two, we may get a super cycle of what I call commoditized fluffer or crap. Apologies to the audience for um, using that word, but that's what I see a lot of organizations trying to do. And how does that balance with MoFilm, which is deeply rooted in storytelling? I think storytelling has gotten diluted or put to the side over the last 10, 15 years as we've tried to automate and do programmatic advertising at scale, which seems like it's breached this commoditized and life cycle stage. I, I think the cycle of crap and fluff that uh, you predict, I'm already seeing it in my inbox. When you sit in my role, you can get a hundred plus cold call emails per day trying to sell something. And it becomes very clear, very quickly, which of those emails are often just coming from an AI generated tool that had zero human touch applied. Uh, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and if I get one more AI-generated email with a subject header that says, Go Panthers, I mean, I'm just going to have to create a filter so that I don't see them anymore. I, I think that same thing will be applied to the creative world. Sometimes we have to see how far we can push it before consumers push back. It starts to create a bad taste. It actually starts to be something that we reject because you can see it, you can smell it from a mile away. Story-based interactions are always going to have a greater impact in that sort of human connection and human dynamic. We are going to relate to and connect more with a story than something that is just kind of thrown in our faces as fact. And the art of storytelling has to come from those human experiences. So I actually believe that storytelling will almost be even more necessary as an identifier of what is fluff versus what is not, because you can't just use past data to inform today's experiences. It has to be a blend of the tech plus the humanization of it that I think will make it clear and more inspiring to us when we are faced with those assets. But yeah, we're, we're going to see a lot of junk on the path getting there. Yeah, that's why, again, I love what MoFilm does as an agency, which is deeply rooted in storytelling. I think because we are going to go through this fluff cycle with AI in terms of the content that gets produced at scale and at speed, I think the default reaction for a lot of creative ops teams might be to embrace that wholeheartedly. And I would encourage anybody in the creative ops community that's listening to this, uh, pay close attention to organizations like MoFilm who are rooted in storytelling and then leverage good creative ops practices to be able to operate efficiently and effectively. This goes back to what you're saying about your definition or MoFilm's definition of creative operations, where you mentioned quality and impact a few times. I think creative ops teams are going to have to level up and mature into caring about those things. So the KPIs just aren't going to be about how much did we do, how quickly did we do it, and how cost-effectively did we do it. It's going to have to pay more attention to, did this have an impact? Because storytelling to be able to cut through the fluff is, I believe, going to be a required superpower for every brand 
out there? We spent time and really thoughtfully decided that we were going to make AI a priority in how we spend our time and what we continue to integrate in our innovative solutions. We looked at one of our core tenets. We deliver people-powered solutions. Our creators are at the core. So we looked at that and we said, okay, as a team, if we lean into AI, is this still honest? We realized and stand by the solutions still absolutely need, need to be people powered. It, it is at the core what connects us as human beings and how brands will connect to the next generation of consumers that they want to build relationships with. It will become even more important and something that I think will be better at recognizing when that human touch is applied. Creators are at the core of what you do. And again, that's sort of a counterbalance to these terms we hear, data-driven. It sounds like data is something you use as a tool, just like AI, but it's not the engine. Creativity, storytelling, and the people who shape those stories are the engine for MoFilm. I love that perspective. How are your clients reacting to your use of AI? Are they active participants in how AI is being used, or is it sort of invisible to them? The answer to that has evolved from one project to the next. In the very, very beginning, it started in a way that was invisible. We're just sort of looking at it and playing with it and having lots of fun with it internally. And then it got to the point where it was almost a postmortem where we raised with a client and said, you know, this film that everybody loves and is doing really well, check out these mid-journey assets that kind of look like where the framing and the film and everything landed, it sparked inspiration and it was really interesting to see how that evolved. We were very transparent about it. It just wasn't anything that we felt in the beginning really mattered. But what, when the final asset was created, it was it was interesting and we wanted to, to bring it to the client. So it didn't change our process. And quite frankly, I'm not even sure at the time it, it saved us on anything because the filmmaker wasn't as involved. But we decided from there, actually, it could be interesting to have the creators and filmmakers more involved, starting with these tools. So we've always been very forthcoming with it. We've been very open about, yes, we are utilizing and playing with these tools. And we talk about them just as you would talk about any other tool that you would utilize, whether it's Photoshop or a photo ed editing tool, the lenses that we use on a camera. It's just an organic part of the conversation. But when we address AI at the highest level, I'd say that client reactions can range from that's great that you're being so innovative. We love that this is a part of what you do. But on the other hand, uh, we just want to make sure that you're not using it for the entire process because our clients want to make sure that there are human hands and eyes on the technology, which you have to, right? Uh, I, the final output of any creative that flows through the use of these tools, it's not ready yet to solve for the bias and the fact that the bias is inherent to the data that has been input in these tools. That is all that is available to create the outputs. And so until the learning models are completely comprehensive, you have to have humans with, with eyes and ears and hands on everything to gut check, to iterate, to continue to make it better. And I think that's the concern, which is why we also go back to the people-powered 
process and solutions because it's really important that it's one plus one equals three, that it's not just one tool and done. But such an important point, these models are trained on data, which is really a representation of either a slice of the world or the way the world was or has been or is. And again, going back to creators at the core with storytelling, stories are like it's the most human thing I think we do. We've been gathering around the campfires since ancient times to tell each other stories. And it's stories about the past, the present, and most importantly, stories about what the future could be and the way we wanted the world to be. And because of that, we created everything we have today from language to central air conditioning. So yeah, if we just outsource creative to AI, it will just keep producing what the world was or is as opposed to the way we want the world to be. And and that sort of intersects with something that you've been very passionate about, DEI, in the creative space in general, and your whole business model at MoFilm, which connects creators from different backgrounds with the stories that brands want to tell for an increasingly diverse audience that they want to connect with in a very real and authentic way. So as you think about AI becoming more a part of the creative process and understanding, as you pointed out, that there is a risk with these models being trained on data that looks like the world we don't want to have anymore. How do you think about navigating that in terms of how you're using the tools or some of the things that you're just on the lookout for? I'm very passionate about this topic, and it's such an important one. Internally, we're, we're just very fortunate to have a very diverse team, but our creator community is also inherently diverse. So we pride ourselves on the number of diverse creatives, directors, filmmakers, animators that we can equip with jobs for some of these projects that we work on with large brands. When you surface more <laughs> options, more diverse solutions, then more people get those jobs. And that translates into, I think, a better eye and ear out for some of those watchouts that I mentioned earlier. When we are looking at the larger outputs that you will see based on whatever prompts you put into a tool, an AI tool that can generate creative assets, and you're only working with the data inputs in the system, you are at risk for that system being biased toward a limited data set if that is what that tool is working with. A great example would be we wanted some headshots across our team. We are a very global team. Not everybody's in the same place. And so we thought, well, you know, we love AI uh, tools as a priority. Why don't we lean into one of these fun headshot tools as a stopgap until we can get everybody together and get a professional shoot underway? So all of us selected some of our former headshots, some casual pictures, and input as much data as possible into these tools. So we had some standards, like we're all going to use black and white, and here are some of the parameters so that we all have these sort of consistent photos that we can put on this uh, interim website. And we were shocked to see the range of results. One woman, her hair looked like she had a beautiful blowout. She didn't uh, need any makeup. It was done for her, and it was fabulous. She just looked amazing. Then we got to my headshot and I said, oh no, I had done it not once, not twice, but three times. I probably pulled at least 30 to 45 different photos to try to feed the machine. 
And the reason why I did it so many times was because no matter how many times I tried, the final product looked nothing like me. You know how your voice always sounds different in your right. spell message? Whether yep. I said, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I just see myself in a different light. I showed it to my husband. I showed it to my team members and everybody agreed. None of these look like you. First of all, a lot of the AI shots came back for the women uh, highly sexualized. So there were a lot of crop tops. There was a lot of cleavage. But my images in general just looked nothing like my face. And it didn't take long for us to recognize that the likely cause was just lack of data with people of color as a black woman specifically my gut is that they had very few data points to talk about the nuances of the nose shapes and my hair texture, for example. There is another woman of color on my team, and we pretty much had the same three hairstyles that the AI tool would spit out for us. So it didn't take long for us to decide, scratch the headshot. They're not going on the interim site at all. It, it's just not ready. The data can only do so much as, as it relates to the input. I worked at tech companies for the better part of 15 years. And I remember when Google had announced at the Super Bowl that the cameras and the lenses on their cameras had improved for people of color because we often disappeared into the shadows in the background because the light contrast just wasn't designed to absorb uh, our skin tones, especially when juxtaposed next to a lighter skin tone with white peers, colleagues, friends, family, whatever. So as that technology improved, we saw those universal improvements across cameras. I am hopeful that over time, as those inputs and perhaps more diverse engineering teams are creating these AI tools, the technology will get better. But for now, it's just not ready. That's a great example. I'm pulling a bit of a silver lining out there because I'm usually a glass half full kind of guy. And it was an unfortunate output for yourself and some other individuals on your team. But... I've done some of these AI days with organizations as they start to step into getting comfortable with AI and using it. And that to me should be turned into a little bit of an experiment or part of a mini hackathon. You have to pay attention to the data because the AI is just an engine. The data is the fuel for what that engine is going to be able to do or not do. So doing something like that will then help to highlight bias specifically or potential bias and more broadly, lack of quality and completeness and the data that you're relying on to be able to go faster and do more with these AI engines. We've heard about these stories of like banking applications or mortgage acceptance applications, but it seems a little bit abstract in this. You can actually see a picture and go, that looks nothing like Michelle. Or as you said, like, why is every woman dressed up like they're going out to the club on Saturday night or something? These are professional headshots for the website. Why does the AI assume that's the way women are dressed? So I love that example. And I think we should all think about maybe turning it into a mini experiment to cast a light on. We got to pay attention to the data as we use these AI tools. Exactly. I am really optimistic that, again, as these instances are identified, then that should ultimately prompt the call for more diverse inputs, more data sets to be integrated so that those issues and challenges can be overcome. And I think that brings us full circle back to the importance of people really being at the core, navigating these tools, providing the feedback loop for those outputs. 
you don't have to look that far back to find brands who I will not name, who have had some pretty embarrassing moments from a commercial perspective, simply because they did not have diverse enough talent crews to raise their hands and say, that probably is not going to land well with certain audiences. (laughs) That positioning, that particular joke, maybe not so is good for somebody in my community, right? So when you have these diverse perspectives, that can be that filter, uh, of course, in a psychologically safe environment, which is a whole other conversation to make people comfortable speaking up so that we can do better and we can improve our tools and the final outputs that we're delivering. We will still continue to need people at the core. I think these tools will be the best assistants, the best sidekick that we could possibly have to do the best that we can do and maybe relax a little bit more in this world where we work so hard and put a lot of hours in our day-to-day. Well, I I think that's a great place for us to start to wrap up. I love this conversation and the insight and the wisdom that you shared through your own learned experience of using AI. The things that are sticking out for me like immediately are creatives at the core storytelling is still the mission and that's going to become more important as these AI tools get adopted and used because we're going to have that super cycle of fluff and storytelling is once again going to be the most important thing to be able to break through the noise and really connect with audience in a real and authentic way. I think we have or we're about to re-see that commoditized era that we've been in for the last 10, 15 years where we're all just like pushing buttons to try and connect with the audiences. So one final question for you. We've all learned so much from you today. I would love to get your opinion on who's the one individual you would love to hear from on the podcast in a future episode that you think has got some interesting, valuable perspectives when it comes to creative operations and all the things that creative ops leaders need to be thinking about and responsible for. So this is really hard. I'll have to say I actually turn to Shelly Palmer a lot for inspiration and just he seems to have this finger on the pulse of all things AI, not just in creative, but really across the landscape and has also had some interesting perspective on the the dilemma around legality and copyright. So I'd love to see him dig into creative operations and really be challenged with some of the great questions that you posed to me here. Um, there are so many in the community that I, I would love to hear from, but I think given his depth of expertise, he'd be at the top of my list for now. All right. Well, Shelly Palmer, we will see if we can make that happen on a future episode. Michelle, again, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I've learned so much and I'm interested to keep talking to you and hearing your evolving perspectives on creative ops and AI and DEI and everything else related to that. Likewise, Nish. I love these conversations and can't wait to keep it going. So it's another episode in the bag. I hope you found it as valuable as I since this conversation I've been thinking about a few things. I want to share one or two of them with you now. One is just their approach to AI that Michelle and her agency is taking. It's very open, transparent, and it's rooted in experimentation. I think that's the key thing, experimentation. I've been meeting with lots of marketing and creative teams, creative ops teams, and even executive teams over the last year, as everybody has sort of been up against 
what seems like a barrier for most organizations of AI is going to change everything. And they're like, where do I start? Whose job is this? And I think Michelle and what MoFilm are doing is the right approach, adopting more of a culture of experimentation and just doing it openly and transparently and talking about how current AI capabilities can help them today, what's working, what's not working, sharing those learnings with each other, talking about how it's affecting their current work, their current processes. And so I think they're already getting value against the type of work they currently do and the way they currently work. And I think that culture of experimentation will then naturally lead to them discovering new types of work that they can do or new ways in which they can work. That's usually the way it works. You gotta start experimenting with these things, applying it to your current reality, see what works, what doesn't work. And then through that, you're gonna end up coming up with ideas and finding new things that you can do, new ways in which you can work. It's very simple. It's rooted in the ethos of experimentation, just doing it openly and transparently. I think every organization needs to become a, a R&D lab. It's just not the nerds in the lab or the corner who go off and figure out AI for the organization. Experimentation with AI is everybody's job because if it's going to change everything, it's going to change everybody's job. It's going to change the business as a whole over time. I've been thinking a lot about that and how do we embed more of a culture of experimentation in all our teams and organizations. The other thing I've been thinking about is their whole ethos of creator in the middle. It actually sparked this thought for me. We're all talking about AI and algorithms and machine driven this and that and all of a sudden this image of us sitting around the campfire way back when, when we we're dressed in loincloths and like hunting with spears and we told each other stories about what the future could be. And I think that's where the distinction is between AI and humans. And Michelle and her agency get it by talking about creator in the middle is that I think AI is going to be good at scaling the stories we already know, the creative we already have, about remixing that. So AI is going to be really good at scale, at speed, and repeating the stories that we've already created. But it's always the humans that create the stories of what the future could be. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about how Michelle and her agency are using AI to accelerate what they're already doing, to go faster, to do more. But really the creators are still in the middle of creating those new stories that are gonna pierce through the noise and connect with people. So that's still like sort of a half-baked thought of mine, but I think what I'm walking away with is that stories are the original algorithm and we are the storytellers about what the future could be. Anyways, I'm gonna stop there. I love today's discussion with Michelle. Uh, how about you? If you've got a question, an opinion about something Michelle shared, then drop me a line at nish at creativeops.fm. I hope you found this episode valuable. I hope you're gonna to continue to join me on my journey of curiosity about all things creative ops. Thanks so much.